Joshua 24, our text this morning is verse 15. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As we have come through the book of Joshua for some weeks and through the week, Sunday morning and Wednesday night, we have seen the theme that is in the book of Joshua of victorious Christian living. We've seen some elements to that and some steps to that. We saw as they crossed over Jordan that victorious Christian living involves depending on the promises of God. We trust and rest in the sure promises of God. Aren't you glad this morning that God's word is sure? What God promises, he will perform. He has never failed on any of his promises. We see that we are to be encouraging one another in the Christian life. We need encouragement. We need brothers and sisters to come alongside of us and give that encouragement. We need that we have to, we know that we have to step forward in faith. We have to deal with the sin in our lives as they did with Achan after the battle of Ai or after the battle of Jericho. We've seen that victorious Christian life comes by conquering through prayer. Uh, Joshua's prayer life was throughout the book and prayer is essential to our victorious Christian life. When we come to this last couple of chapters, we saw Wednesday night that following God wholeheartedly is essential to the Christian life and to the victorious life. But I want you to see this morning that choosing to serve God is essential. Choosing Christ over the idols of our world, the idols of our culture. When we look at this text and we see this text, there's a great command that's given here. And I want you to see that this decision is an imperative decision. Choose you this day. He says choose. It is imperative. It's not an option. You will choose one way or the other. When you crawl out of bed in the morning, when I crawl out of the bed, we are going to choose, will I serve Christ or will I serve me? There's an old little couplet Um, I don't know the full poem, but I remember the part that says, only two choices on the shelf, serving God or serving self. And it's imperative. He says, you choose. You'll make a choice here today. I remember someone asking a pastor, how did services go on Easter? And one Sunday he said, well, we had 400 decisions. They said, wow, 400 decisions, that was great. He said, yeah, about 350 decided to stay home. That's a decision Not making a decision is a decision in itself. This is an imperative. You choose. But it's also an individual choice. Choose you. You are the one that makes the choice. I can't choose for you. Your spouse can't choose for you. Your parents can't choose for you. You must choose. Will I serve Christ or will I serve self? It's an imperative decision. It's an individual decision. And it's an immediate decision. Choose you this day. Every single day of your life and my life, we must make the choice. Will I live for God or will I live for myself? Every moment through the day, we are making that decision. We are choosing. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Israel is going to make this choice, and it lasts for about a generation. But as they lived this out, they as individuals had to decide. 
And we can say, looking to the future, as a church, we choose to serve God. We can choose to serve ourselves. There are many self-serving churches. There are many self-serving Christians in this world. But for us, we must choose. We will serve the Lord. Our purpose, what is serving the Lord? You can go through this text and you'll see the word serve repeated over and over. He talks about serving other gods. He talks about not serving other gods. He talks about choosing to serve God. What does it mean to serve God? It is our work for God, but it is also our worship for God. And it is our obedience in work and in worship that makes God look glorious. You see, I don't have to create a God that's glorious. He already is. But I can work and I can worship in a way that is more about me than it is about God. May there never come a time in our life as a church, in our life as individual Christians, that it's more about us than it is about God. That God is to be exalted. He is the one that is to get the glory. So serving God is obedience in work and in worship in a way that tells how wonderful he is. Can people look at your Christian life to see your obedience, to see your life of holiness, to see your worship of God, and they get the idea that God is wonderful, or do they get the idea that God is terrible? Where's the joy in our worship? And so the service for God, will we serve God or will we serve ourselves in our work, in our labor, and in our worship? He says, choose you this day whom you will serve. There's two things that he calls them to, and I want you to see this morning. As we serve God, what does it look like to serve God? He calls them first to deny the idols of culture, to deny the idols of the world around them. What is an idol? An idol is something that replaces God in our affection. It can be a good thing but it becomes something that takes the place of God. It can be our family. For some people, their family has become their idol. For some people, their job has become their idol. For some people, their hobby becomes an idol. And they can be good things, but they become God things. And he says, put away those idols. There's actually two types of idols that he mentions. He mentions one that's sort of the tradition that they've carried along. He says, the ones that your father served on the other side of the flood, and earlier he says that's Abraham. All the way back to Abraham. Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he worshipped the moon god. And he says, put away. Apparently, there seems to have been a, a residual tradition of worshipping those false gods and those idols. And he says, put those away. And he says, the gods that your father served in Egypt. When God delivered Israel from Egypt, all ten of the plagues were against the idols and gods of Egypt. And yet it seems at this point that they have still brought along their idols. One of the great reformers said that the human heart is an idol factory. It will create an idol out of You get rid of one idol and your heart will create another idol. You have to put away these idols, but also not just the tradition, but what about the trend, those idols that are around us, the idols of our society, the idols of our culture that are all around us. He said, and the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. You see, they didn't pick and choose idols. They, some of them just accumulated idols. 
we'll worship these and we'll worship these and we'll worship these and we'll have all our bases covered and we'll have our lucky rabbit's foot and we'll have our four-leaf clover and we'll have God and we'll have, this. we'll have all of our bases covered. We'll just worship all the idols. And he says, you've got to put those away. You've got to get rid of those. What are some of the idols of our world? One of the idols of our world and what we value, our society values the external more than the internal. We're more concerned about style than substance. We're more concerned about what's happening on the outside. We're more concerned about appearance over reality. It doesn't matter if you're really and genuinely changed on the inside. If you look good on the outside, you're okay. You're good. We're concerned about our appearance, and we're concerned about pleasure over discipline. We're concerned about the material over the spiritual. Where's your priorities this morning? What is your priority? Is it about gaining possessions? Let me tell you that the material, the physical, is going to deteriorate. Um, this, this body uh, is getting, it's headed toward corruption. All of us are. You know, we were, we were watching a sporting event last night, and one of the commentators made such a profound statement. Common, sports commentators are some of my favorite. They just make such profound statements. And one of them said, this game is drawing closer and closer to its conclusion. Can I just say that every sporting event, once it starts, is headed closer and closer to its conclusion. Every one of us is moving closer and closer to our conclusion. I know that's not what we want to come to church on Sunday morning and hear, but let me tell you, the death rate's 100%. We're all headed in that direction. This physical body will one day be left behind. This body will corrupt in the grave. This mortality, as Paul describes it, it is mortality and it will die. But I'm glad that this mortality will put on immortality and that resurrection power that they just sang about, that power of Christ, the resurrection, will one day raise this body. And I've got something that will last longer than the grave. I have a life that is eternal. And that is what's valuable. That's what's important. Lay not up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor dust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. Why? That's where, that's eternal. And our world says what's important is right now because many of them have bought into the idea that there's nothing that exists but right here and right now. And therefore, we should enjoy this, the idol of the external over the internal. But then there's also the idol of the trivial over the essential. Our world values stuff that doesn't really matter at all. Someone has said that you can be watching television and you can move from a tragic news story about... <laughs> you can move from a tragic news story about human trafficking to a, a commercial for an amusement park to an advertisement for a laxative within about two minutes. And that's true. It doesn't matter to us. It's, man, what, what used to move us, what, what is of value? We have trivialized what's important. We have taken the spiritual, we have taken the sacred, and we have made it normal. And we have lost our 
fear of God. We have lost our sense of the holy. We have lost our sense of the sacred. Because, we, look, I enjoy humor as much as anybody. I love to laugh. I feel much like Charles Spurgeon, the great British pastor from the 1800s. Someone accused him once of laughing too much in the pulpit. And if you've read Spurgeon's sermons, that's pretty hard to find. I don't see much funny about him, but apparently he laughed in the pulpit. He said, if you knew how much I was holding back, you would applaud my restraint. And I get that. If you understood how much was going on in this head while I'm preaching, you'd really appreciate what I'm restraining from coming out my mouth. But there's a danger when we take what is important and we take subjects like God's holiness and we take subjects like the eternal, the eternal judgment of hell and we take the souls of men and women and children and we make it trivial and light. And that's exactly what our culture has done. Someone has said that our culture is the first in history that is in danger of entertaining itself to death. The trivial over the essential. Real quick, I'll touch on this. Our idol today, one of our key idols in our world today, is the idol in valuing feelings over facts. Feelings over faith. How I feel, my truth is determined, and I use that phrase because that's a common phrase you'll hear, your truth, my truth. My truth is determined by how I feel. My feelings determine my true self. And because that is my true self, the greatest good is me being able to express that. And anyone who hinders me or anything that hinders me from expressing my truth of my feelings is evil. And there's no one but myself who gets to determine that. Tradition and culture and the Bible and even biology doesn't get to determine that. And they value that. They worship at that idol. And until we understand that that's our spirit of this age, we will not understand what's going on in our world. It'll seem bizarre to us. But once you understand that that's their idol, that they are worshiping, then you'll understand where all this is coming from. And this is exactly contrary to what God calls us to. To live by resurrection power in what I'm going to see in just a moment that Jesus says to every one of us. Joshua says, put away those idols. Put away the idols of the world around you. Put away the idols of your heart. And he says, put them away and incline your heart to God. There's things you're to leave behind, but there's something that you are to lean into. To incline your heart unto the Lord. Let me just say that I, I believe we understand what it means almost intuitively to lean our heart. It's easy for us to, to understand and worship with our minds, and we must do that. We, God doesn't tell us to check our minds at the door, and tr we hear truth, but there is also that sense in which our heart leans towards something. I'll guarantee you, every one of you who is a grandparent, who has a grandchild that you just dote on, you know what it means. You can see the expression on their faces when that child comes around and their heart leans toward that child. We, we get what that means. 
And he's saying that our heart must lean toward the Lord. It's not enough for me to just acknowledge this truth and to counter this world's idols with truth. I need for my heart to lean toward God, to worship Him with my whole heart, with my mind, and with my soul. And he says, incline your heart to the Lord. You see, we're not just to deny the idols of culture. We must delight in the joys of Christ. You see, God doesn't just call us away from something. He calls us to something far better, to far greater. The the idols of this world promise something that they can't give. The idols of this world say, you can delight in us, but they offer what they are not capable of giving. And God says, I want you to, I want you to delight in me. I want you to delight in Christ. I want you to incline your heart to me. Put away and incline. Paul describes this in Ephesians chapter 4 of putting off the old man, being renewed in the spirit of our mind, and putting on the new man. Put away the old. Put away the other gods. Incline your heart and and follow after Christ. Jesus put it this way. And if you want to be truly countercultural, if you truly want to go against the flow, then you obey this command of Christ. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and let him follow me. And that's contrary to this world. That's contrary to the idols and the values of our society. But we must not be shaped and warped and pulled by those things of society and culture. We must follow Christ. We must come after Him. That's what Joshua is calling the people of Israel to. It's what Jesus is calling every one of us to to deny ourselves, take up the cross and the shame of the cross. And the the thing about the cross that stands contrary to the rest of our society and our world, a society that says it's all about me and my feelings, doesn't understand a cross that says it's about everyone else, laying down your life, focusing on others, serving God, serving others. Verse 25 says, I love what happens in between. Let me just sort of summarize what happens in between. The people say to Joshua, he says, choose you this day whom you will serve. And they said, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua doesn't say, that's wonderful. I see those hands. Joshua says, you can't serve the Lord. You see, Joshua knew their hearts. Joshua says, you can't do this. And let me tell you that if you're sitting there thinking this morning, I will choose to serve the Lord. That's wonderful, but you can't do it. It is only by resurrection power. It is only by Christ our hope in life and death that we are able to serve the Lord. It is only by his strength, Peter says, the strength that comes from God that we are enabled to serve. So when you say, I will serve the Lord, they said, we, Joshua says, you can't do it. And they says, no, we will do it. And so Joshua says again, put away the strange gods that are among you 
and incline your heart, verse 23, unto the Lord God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, the Lord God will we serve and his voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with them. Let me ask you this morning, what is your decision today? Serving God or serving self? For some, the decision that needs to be made is to follow Christ as Savior, to trust in Him as Savior. You will begin your life of following Christ, being a disciple. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Have you come to the place that you admit and acknowledge that you are a sinner and that you cannot save yourself and believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead three days later? Have you confessed Him as Lord? If you haven't, that's the choice that you need to, that's the decision that needs to be made today. For others, it's the decision of following Christ in obedience and baptism. Several are doing that after the service. Others may need to. You've not been baptized since you were saved. You were baptized before, and as someone shared with me just right before the service, my baptism needs to be on the right side of my salvation. For others, it may be, I'm going to serve the Lord. God's calling you to a particular place of service. God's calling you to a lifetime of service, and you've not been willing to say, I will, and God says to you, will you choose today to serve the Lord? But for every single one of us, it is God calling us to obeying Him in our work and worship in a way that brings glory to God. So I ask you the question that Joshua asks. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Will you, will you serve Christ or will you serve yourself? As for me, in God's house, can we say, we will serve the Lord? Will you bow with me for prayer this morning? As we prepare for our invitation this morning, those who are being baptized can slip out and begin to prepare for that immediately following the service. But let me ask the rest of you, what is God speaking to you about this morning? There may be someone here, as there have been the last several Sundays, who has never trusted Christ as their Savior. Let me invite you to do that right where you are. Or you can come down at the invitation and you can speak to one of our pastors and we'll talk with you and share with you how you can know Jesus as your Savior. Have you followed Christ in baptism? Are you serving? Are you living life? Will you say, as for me, I will serve the Lord. When I get up in the morning, I'm going to make that my prayer. I'm going to commit to that. Will you make a covenant with God? God, I will serve you. I will not serve self. I will not follow the idols of this world. In our society, I will seek to follow by your strength and your power, follow Christ. When we have our invitation, music will play. We will stand. I want to invite you to come and kneel at this altar and say that to God. God, I choose to serve you. Father, I pray that you will speak to our hearts this morning. May we be obedient to what you call us to do. We